All right, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 807. I want you to think about a prototype. Maybe some of you in your jobs work with prototypes. Maybe you are in charge of testing prototypes or building them. But prototypes are important things. Quick definition that I think helps us understand how it relates to the text this morning is that a prototype is an early sample, model, or release of a product built to test a concept or process or to act as a thing to be replicated or learned from. A prototype is an initial thing, initial build, an initial idea from which later models are improved upon and built. Prototypes are used in some senses to be mistakes and then learn from those mistakes, but they are the beginning of the idea that leads to a better understanding later on. Today, we're going to continue on, actually, in the Christmas story to the story of the wise men, of the Magi. And I want us to see this morning that the way that Matthew tells this story is that the Magi, the wise men, are to help us to be a prototype for our understanding of Jesus. Now, as with many things at the beginning of one of the Gospels, there's an introduction of ideas, and people don't fully understand Jesus or these ideas about Jesus until the end, until the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And so in the same way, the Magi are prototypes for our understanding of Jesus. They are giving us a hint. They are giving us an, an initial thought about Jesus that as we go through Scripture, we learn more about. And the specific aspect of who Jesus is that the Magi introduce us to is this idea that Jesus is king. And so as we look at the story of the Magi before, and we'll talk about how many of them and what their names were. Spoiler alert, we don't know either one. Um, and then you will then be able to better argue whether or not they should be initially placed at your nativity scene for your decorations during Christmas time or not. You know, I had a friend, they actually would make their Magi figurines travel throughout the house during Advent and not get there till the proper time. Which, if you're really counting it, was like maybe two years later, so whatever. Um, it was a very elaborate nativity scene. Um, but again, the Magi are a model for us of what it means for Jesus to be our king. So our big idea this morning is pretty simple. If you're following along your bulletin, you can see it printed there, that we must worship and serve Jesus as king. So let's look at the first part of the story that the heavens declare the birth of a king. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew is going to use the idea of king to be sort of the unifying theme of this story, and it begins by introducing when it happened. Look at his description of when this event occurred. It was in the days of Herod the king. And so as he is introducing Jesus as king, we see that central to this story is the wicked king Herod. And we can compare and contrast Herod with Jesus. But these wise men, these magi, they come from the east. And we see that they come to the capital of Jerusalem. And they've come because they saw the king's star where they were out in the east. And of course, if you're looking for a king, you go to the capital city, which was Jerusalem. And if you're looking for a king in that capital city, you go to the palace. Now, what is a wise man? What is, when we talk about the magi, who are we talking about? Now, back in history, we know that this term covered a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology, magic, and books thought to contain mysterious references to the future and things like that. So they would always be looking up to the sky. They would be interested in prophecies coming true and that sort of thing. Now, the Bible is not clear when it says they came from the east. And you can find, if you go on the internet and you want to get lost for a couple hours, you can find so many different theories about where they were from. The best guesses that we can find historically with real data is that they came from either Babylon, Persia, or the Arabian Desert. Now again, there's a lot of theories as to what they actually saw. And what we're told is that it was a star, but this could also be a term to refer to many different astrological events. So what we know for sure is that God used his creation to send a sign to these guys who would be watching the sky to tell them in some way, shape, or form that a king had been born. And so with all these details that we're not sure about, what we're sure of is that God in his sovereignty demonstrated to people who weren't Jewish, people who were from another country, that a king had been born. One author about this demonstration of sovereignty writes, just as God sovereignly worked through the Caesar's decree that census should be taken to ensure that Jesus' birth in Bethlehem would fulfill prophecy, so God sovereignly used the Magi's calculations to bring about this situation. 
Again, throughout the Christmas story, we see the sovereign hand of God declaring to people that something special had happened in the birth of Jesus. And what I don't want us to miss is that God, in this small way with this small group of men, is already including the nations, already including the far-off people. The good news of Jesus Christ was never just for a select group of people. It was always for the nations. And here we see these magi, these wise men, travel across the world. Again, you think about modes of transportation back then. They didn't hop in an Uber to get there. They're walking and riding camels and horses. They travel across the world all to see a king. Now in verse 2, we see them say, For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now again, the magi are a prototype. And back then, to worship a king would be, we would probably say to pay homage to a king, to come before a king humbly and respectfully As we'll see later on, you would probably give a gift to a king. The Magi don't fully understand that this is not only a king, but in fact the Son of God. And so Matthew is showing us that they act better than they know. Again, they're a prototype for us. In in a similar way that these men would have worshipped Jesus as a king to pay homage to him, How much more, knowing that he is, in fact, the Son of God, do we worship Jesus as God and King? So not only does the creation speak to the birth of a king, secondly, in this story, we see that the Scriptures declare the birth of the promised king. Follow along as I read verses 3 to 8. When Herod the king heard this, that these people were looking for a newly born king of the Jews, the current king, Herod, when he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod the king... Here's this news that they believe a king of the Jews has been born. Now from history, and it's a really pretty bloody history, we know that Herod was extremely paranoid, vindictive, and cruel. Murdering people in his own family just to keep his throne. And we'll see later in the story, we're not going to get to it today, but you can read on that he slaughters children in an attempt to get Jesus just so he can keep his throne. And so in an understatement almost in Matthew, when the king heard this, he was troubled. And so this conniving evil king needs some more information because he needs to plot to keep his place. So he asks... The people who know their Bible, the chief priests and the scribes, 
the learned people, the people who knew the Bible the best, he asked where the Christ was to be born. Now again, remember, Christ here is that promised Savior and King from the Old Testament. And Herod was smart enough to connect the two, King of the Jews and Messiah. And he wanted to know where in the prophecies was that Messiah to be born. So in verse 5, the religious leaders of the people say to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The religious leaders quote to Herod from the book of Micah, and a partial quote from 2 Samuel chapter 5. In there they describe not only the birth of the Messiah to be in Bethlehem, but that the one to be born is a ruler. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Again, when you look at the different prophecies about Jesus, you see different aspects of who he was going to be, and one of them was as king. And it's very clear here that the one to be born was both a savior and a ruler, the promised Messiah and a king. Again, as Matthew is telling this story, what keeps coming up again and again is that Jesus is the king. He is the king sent by God to rule his people. So Herod has the information. And so in verses 7 and 8, he goes back to the wise men. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, we know from the rest of the story that this is not a sincere thing. This is Herod plotting to get rid of his competition, which he will in fact try to do in gruesome fashion. But what I thought was interesting is that one author points out the great irony in this part of the story. That none of the Jewish people who heard from the Magi what happened actually go. <laughs> Look what Herod does. He says, you guys, <laughs> you guys go and, and they'll come later. <laughs> There's a great point missing that all the people who had been troubled about the announcement of another king, of their king, a king of the Jews, none of them go. <laughs> but a group of Gentiles who saw a star are the ones who go and see Jesus. 
Now, we don't know the reasons. Some authors have suggested a simple fear of Herod, which was very real. And the fact that Herod was a wicked guy, why would he want to worship Jesus? But we need to see what is missing in this story, and that is the people to whom the king was sent did not go. But people who had no historical connection to the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Savior, they are the ones who are obedient to God's word. None of the scribes, none of the chief priests who knew where in the Bible it talked about the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem, none of them go. They know God's word back and forth, but none of them are obedient. But a couple guys on a couple camels with a couple gifts, they're obedient to God's word. Again, it shows us that it doesn't matter where you're from, or what you look like, or who your family is. What matters is obedience to God and his word. And that's for all people. And these magi, these foreigners, shame the Jewish people who knew the prophecy was being fulfilled and even knew which prophecy it was, and they still don't go. So we've seen that creation declares the birth of a king. We've seen that the scriptures declare the birth of a king. And in the last part of the story that we're going to look at today, we're going to see that the wise men declare Jesus to be the king. So let's look at verses 9 to 12. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We have the continuing miracle of God again gives them a sign in the sky to guide them to the very house where Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were. And they get there and they rejoice with great joy. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And in verse 11, we see that they fall down and worship. Now, like we said before, they're sort of worshiping better than they know. Again, the knowledge that they have so far is that Jesus is this king who deserves the homage that a king would deserve. And they give the first Christmas presents, which is sort of fun when you think about it. <laughs> But I also want you to think of the element of faith 
in what God had done and what God had said in his word that they worship this very normal family in a very normal house and they worship a baby. I mean, you can imagine them coming into this house and seeing this very normal couple with a very normal baby. Like I mentioned last week, Jesus was not wearing the royal onesie. Nothing about their appearance would be like, hey, this guy's a king. But because of what they had seen and what they had heard from God's word, they believe that this baby is the king they've been looking for. They're not thrown off by his appearance. They're not thrown off by the humble nature of Joseph and Mary. But they worship because they have responded rightly to the revelation of God to them. They give gifts that were appropriate to give royalty. These were rich gifts. Some have postulated that Mary and Joseph used these gifts when they have to run to Egypt to escape Herod later. So we see God's provision in that. But there are two things about worship that I want us to see. And the first is the humility that these men showed in worshiping a baby who'd just been born. These men were learned men. They were people of status in their own culture. They were able to afford these rich gifts, so they at least had some good amount of money. And they fall down before this baby and worship him. Like we've seen throughout the rest of the Christmas story, there is a deep humility that we must have to approach Jesus. And that this is the right way to approach Jesus. That there is a pride that we must fight against that prevents us from worshiping Jesus. I've said it before, I'll say it again here, the more and more I follow Jesus, the more and more that humility is essential to following Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus if you are not humble. Because you will not. And you'll think of some reason, probably just like Herod and the rest of the scribes did. They thought of some reason. Maybe they didn't want to go to Bethlehem. Maybe they didn't want to travel. Maybe Herod really didn't want to know if there was another king. But the Magi are to be praised and celebrated for their humility in worshiping Jesus. And the second part of worship is this, that we worship Jesus as king. Now again, that's one aspect. And throughout the Christmas story and throughout the Gospels, we see all the different aspects of Jesus' ministry and who he was. But I think this one is of particular note, especially in this story. 
Jesus is presented as a king. Now, part of the problem for us is that we don't really understand kings anymore. Okay, so when I say Jesus is a king, do not think about the royalty in England. Okay, first of all, it's a constitutional monarchy, and that's a really great distinction. But they are figureheads. Back in the time of Jesus, there was no push for universal human rights. (laughs) The king was sovereign. And if he wanted to kill you, he could. You couldn't appeal to, like, the Supreme Court against the king. There was no appeals process for the decisions of a king. But that Jesus is compared to a king needs to make us pause. For one, it needs to show us that there's more to Jesus than being our best friend. We talk about the love of Jesus and that is entirely appropriate and great and good. But we also need to understand that we are under the rule of King Jesus. And when he speaks, we must obey. It's not an option. Obedience to Jesus is not an option. And so for worship, this helps us to understand that we, as we... As we participate in corporate worship like singing and prayer and coming together on Sunday mornings, that that's a very essential part of worship. But then in our understanding of Jesus as King, that we understand obedience is another essential part of worship. That we serve Him, He doesn't serve us. That in a culture where we are consumers, that we don't just consume services from God, that he's there to serve us. We must serve him. Our worship is found in obedience to what he has said. Let me close with a couple points of further application from this story. Again, to see with new eyes this story that is so often depicted in in decorations and nativity scenes. Number one, the good news of Jesus is for all people. It's not just for us and people like us. It's not just for people that we agree with, but it's for all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. At the very beginning of Matthew's account of Jesus' life, already we see the inclusion of people from other countries, from across the world. 
God is bringing them to a knowledge of him. There's a challenge in that we need to push back the boundaries that our world and society create. That we are called to reach out to those who are far away and not just be concerned with ourselves because God loves those people. That's why we support missions because we know that God cares about all people, not just people living in America. That's why we're called to engage with the gospel with our neighbors and our coworkers, some of whom, and this, this percentage is growing, of, of people from different religions of the world. Maybe you work with someone who is Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim. This story reminds us that the gospel is for them. It's for all people. Secondly, if Jesus is our king, we must obey him. Again, let me, let me say something I've said before and I'll continue to say this. In general, our problem is not whether we know what Jesus has said. Christians in America are some of the highest educated Christians who have ever lived in the history of the world. That's not usually our problem, to know what's in the Bible. Our problem is actually doing it. <laughs> and this is a reminder, if Jesus is our king, obedience is not an option. <laughs> because back then, you would never say to a king, well, king, I hear you're saying this, but you know, I've got things to do this week. I'll get around to it if I can. You would never say that to a king. Why do we say that to Jesus? Thirdly, we can trust King Jesus. We believe from the Bible that Jesus is more than a nice guy who said nice things to people. And if we believe he is king... We believe that he is king and God over this whole universe. And there's a comfort in that, that our God is not just a nice guy, but he's the king of the universe. That we can trust him to provide for us. We can trust him to protect us. We can trust him to guide us because he is the king of everything. When we're going through the storms, when we're going through the dark times, that is when we need to remind ourselves we follow the king. And he will shepherd his people. And fourthly, we must approach King Jesus in humble worship. Both in our weekly services like this, but also in the Monday to Saturday, in the details of life. But you won't worship if you're not humble. 
and your worship won't be accepted if it's not done in humility. The picture the Magi gives, gives us of coming to Jesus and humbly presenting gifts as they would a king gives us an analogy for our worship. That when we obey, that when we sing, that when we pray, we are presenting gifts of worship to the king. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus loves us. Jesus shows us his grace and his mercy. But we must not forget that Jesus is our king. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of the Magi in showing us a prototype of worshiping you as king, of serving you as king, of growing our understanding of you to include obedience and serving you. God, that we would trust you as king, that we would worship you as king today and in every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.